blue wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. All right, we're back. Episode 183 of Press Pass. Gail Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. It has been a few weeks. You know, bear with us. This is what happens. It's the wild time. It's it's almost like college football, the wild, wild west, where anything can happen on any given week. We've both been extremely busy. Me wrapping up a tumultuous Tennessee Titans season. You wrapping up everything that is college football, and you're still working throughout the week on various other things with the Rally on Valley. So how are you first and foremost? I'm good. Uh, this is... um. I mean, as you know, because you're doing radio every day, um, yeah. hectic, so much going on. I know down in Nashville that you guys are probably talking about the Predators. I don't know if you guys get into what the Grizzlies are doing, but John Morant is prime time constantly. Ooh. So there's plenty to talk about with that cat. In my world, we're talking a little bit of everything. NFL playoffs getting ready to ramp up, and I know you're heavily involved in uh, NFL and Titans yeah. making moves. Um Ooh. Which is, you know, it's just a wild spot. And then um in 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 college football world, specifically Big Ten, Jim Harbaugh sniffing around the NFL for the second year in a row. You got Kevin Warren, who was a conference commissioner for 30 whole months, who's going uh, back into the NFL world as the uh the president and CEO of the Bears. I mean, a lot of stuff going on right now. So let's actually start with that. Kevin Warren recent commissioner of the Big Ten, like you had mentioned, um, is going back into the ranks of the NFL. First and foremost, were you shocked by the news? I know you're good friends with Nicole Auerbach. She was actually on Paul Feinbaum's show. I, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday. And she kind of said it was a little bit of two worlds. It was like there was the really, really low times in, in his time as commissioner. And then there has been some really high times, um, clearly with the TV deals and bringing USC and UCLA over. What are your thoughts on his move? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. We had uh, Nicole Auerbach on my show, The Rally, on uh, Bally Sports, and um, she shared many of the same sentiments. And um, Nicole was one of the people who was on the forefront of everything that Commissioner Warren was up to, um, specifically the COVID year and basically his whole tenure. Like she was the one who broke all the major news that came out of the commissioner's office. So um, certainly somebody you want to talk to on that topic. But um, just from my perspective, I'm not necessarily shocked. Kevin Warren spent 20 years working in NFL circles and had immense success, specifically in Minnesota, where they got a practice facility done, a new stadium built. And the Bears are trying to figure out where their future lies and if they want to move their stadium, which it seems like bringing in Kevin Warren would be an indication that that is exactly what they want to do. Um, And so he can help in that regard. I would also say that even with all the successes, and we're talking major successes here, conference expansion, bringing in USC and UCLA. And this isn't, there's no shot to these teams I'm about to mention. This isn't bringing in Rutgers. It's not bringing in Maryland. It's not bringing in Nebraska. I mean, this is bringing in USC who is on the precipice of being a a college football playoff team under Lincoln Riley, and then uh, UCLA, 
who uh, improving in football, certainly trying to get back to where they once were historically, both institutions that have expansive athletic departments kind of fits in with what the Big Ten wants to do. And then $8 billion worth of television revenue um, until 2030. Like this guy did some major things within 30 months. But even with those successes, it never felt like he was really accepted by folks in the footprint because of the COVID 2020 season. Um, And so I'm not surprised that an opportunity that makes sense that came up for him that he would jump at it. Um, and he's, he's certainly, in my opinion, leaving the Big Ten Conference in a way better place than he found it. Yeah, which is crazy to think with the short amount of time that he was there. It, anybody off the top of your mind who they've been talking about as a replacement? Yeah, I mean, there are people inside the conference office. Uh, Diana Sabo is a name that I would pay attention to. Kevin Warren handpicked her out of Ohio State's athletic department to come over to the conference. Um, she's been heavily involved in a lot of things. I actually got to yuck it up with her for a little bit at the Peach Bowl. Um, and, you know, she went from the Peach Bowl, flew straight out to the Rose Bowl to support Penn State. Um, she's all Big Ten. Um, the name Gene Smith has popped up as yeah. well. The uh, Ohio State Athletic yeah. Director seems like more of a short term play if that were the case, just because of his age. But you don't necessarily need a commissioner right now who's got um, pressing issues to solve because the TV deal got done. And it seems like expansion is is going to stand pat for right now. There's also an idea of doing like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 did and grabbing somebody who isn't a college football person yes. um, to kind of run the conference because there are so many things to leverage in yes. terms of uh, revenue streams and in terms of NIL and being on the forefront of business deals. So the Big Ten has a great opportunity to do that. And then, of course, you can't count out um, various other administrators in the college ranks right now, and also conference commissioners from smaller conferences. Um, so the the Big Ten Conference, I think, is in a really good spot because if you were looking to be a commissioner, two places you want to be right now, the SEC and the Big Ten. Yep. You're going to have big headaches, but I mean, you're, you're going to be one of the biggest power brokers in all sports. So um, for the future of the conference, I think they're in a good spot in terms of who they can select because the, I mean, the book is wide open. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Great uh, insight there as uh, of course, when we're recording this, this is new news uh, as of this week. So let's go back a few days to the national championship game on Monday or whatever you want to call that. Look, Oof. I know what the line was going into it. I know a lot of people were like, ah, nobody's giving TCU a chance. Uh, but if you had watched this Georgia team, and you clearly watched this Georgia team against Ohio State, who battled to the very end with this Bulldogs team, I, I feel like TCU should have put up a little better of a fight than that. But then again, give credit to Kirby Smart for somehow pumping his guys up so much that they uh, truly felt like people thought they were going to go seven and six this year. Yeah, this is um, first off the the idea that he had his players buying into the the, the <laughs> thought that anybody thought that they were going to have a five hundred record this year is absolutely remarkable, um, yeah. and, and it shows who he is. 
as a coach and as a motivator. And, and Urban Meyer was one of the best at fabricating underdog stories. Like we as a team, we never lost as an underdog. And it was because we felt like we should never be. Um, and Kirby had them thinking that they were an underdog, which is absolutely astounding to me. Insane. Um, so congrats on that. And yes, I, I'll come out and say this uh, flatly, is we watched the national championship game played on New Year's Eve in Atlanta, 42 to 41, uh, Georgia yep. beat Ohio State. That was a national title game, yep. in my opinion. You can't tell me otherwise. Now, to get to that game, there are rare occasions in a stage that bright where a team feels such little resistance. And mm -hmm. Georgia had whatever they wanted all night. Stetson Bennett was out there looking like freaking Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson all at the same time. Um, Lad McConkey was out there looking like freaking Devontae Adams. You had uh, Brock Bowers out there looking like Gronk. I mean, like all of those guys, they just, they looked like they were invincible and unstoppable. And it, it shows me two things. I think number one, the type of developer that Kirby is as a coach, uh, because we know he can recruit, but he he's developed those guys to be able to play the way that they did and developed a program and put together a great staff. He deserves a lot of credit for that. But number two goes back to the thing that I said in my first point, the, the talent disparity between those two teams is it's a chasm. And this is not a knock on what TCU is trying to build, but let's be completely real about this. Georgia, except for at quarterback, surprisingly, the recruiting rankings for those guys that were on the field, they were all everything, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And TCU had a bunch of guys that, yes, they have a lot of team speed, and yes, they've got skill, but when you start to boil down the actual talent level and then the depth of the players that they have, that was the difference. Georgia put in a freshman on the defensive line, Yeah, you know, 6'5", 315, whatever he was. Yep. This dude looked like he's ready to play on Sundays yeah. against that TCU team. And that's the difference to me. And I think that's why the semifinal games look the way that they did as well. Sure. Ohio State, number three team in college football this year in terms of team talent. Georgia was number two. Then you get to Michigan. They're probably sitting somewhere – between 15 and 20 in overall team talent, and TCU's probably closer to the 40s, right? And so the tightly contested game that we saw against with Ohio State against Georgia was that because you have coaching staffs that are obviously good and everything, but it was because of the talent. Ohio no. State could yeah. take punches. Georgia could take punches. They both showed that they have depth because neither one of them was really playing at full strength for a lot of the game. You look at Michigan and TCU. And TCU had to catch some breaks in that game. They certainly did. But I also think that TCU, from a talent standpoint, could match up better with a Michigan because Michigan has some top talent, but maybe the depth isn't quite what Georgia sure. and Ohio State have. And, and, and this is a Michigan team that beat Ohio State, too, so I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just trying to make sense of how all this happens. But you get to a point where you get TCU and Georgia on the same field. And nobody expected a 65 to seven, but I think we all kind of expected a two or three touchdown type of blowout to, to happen. Yeah, that was absolutely atrocious. I mean, the ratings and I think in the second half were the worst in, I don't even know how many years. Like it was nasty. Yeah. yeah. And I watched the whole game too. Cause I'm a sicko. Oh yeah. No, I mean, we all, it, it, we all that cover college football and, and athletics, specifically sports. I feel like you kind of just have to, right. Um, no matter what. And I, yeah, I was watching it till the very end too. 
Uh, you're right about the talent. You're absolutely right. It, it's just different levels. And when your program is Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, you know, you're going to be getting the top talent in the country. And when it comes down to it, the depth is there. And you're right. TCU has had a hell of a season and nothing taking away from what they did this season and how they found different ways to win. Right. But when it comes down to the game that matters the most and you're up against the team that has all the talent in the world and the depth to go with it and a head coach, like you're it just it's it's not comparable. And that's the difference you saw on yeah. Monday night. And um, look, I, I, I text you. I had to do my final ballot that night. That's the other reason, clearly, why yes. I'm, I'm up till the end of the game. Right. And. I text you and I said, "Look, I can't put TCU at two. I yeah, can't." Yeah, I mean, the and the I final AP poll that came out to me, I think it was. I understand why a lot of people ended up putting TCU at two. Sure, and I like I get the rationale behind it, but also I think if you if you watch the games that occurred on the football field, I think it's probably easy to say that. Ohio State's a better team than TCU. Correct. Even though they didn't win a conference title and they didn't play a national championship, the way that game played out against Georgia, we can say that. But then you get into the okay, well, TCU beat Michigan, then Michigan beat Ohio State. So how do you how do you figure these things out? Right. And I think that's how a lot of people got there. But when you sent me that text and you were like, I don't think I can put TCU at two. If I was an AP voter, I would not have put them at two on my ballot. I mean, you you can't get run off the football field like that. Right. And, and, and I'm supposed to sit here and say, well, they made it to the national title, yeah. so they have to be too. I don't, I don't operate like that. I don't operate like that too. And look, I know that they did end up too in the final AP poll, but I don't, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not that other voter. I'm me as a voter and what my, you know, overall, what I felt at that point at the end of the season and the disaster that was that national championship game for that, I just, I could not do it, Joshua. I, I, yeah. I, tr I tried in the, the beginning, in the first half, I went back and forth with myself and I'm like, it, you know, can I do this? Can I put it? I, I know this sounds like this is like third, uh, you know, first world problems here, but yeah, right. I, I, I mean, it, you take it seriously though. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they're putting backups in. Yep. In the national championship game, they have the starters eating wings on the sideline. I mean, the backups were in there killing them too. That that was the, the other disappointing part. So I don't apologize, and I had people adding me all week about my poll. You know what? I don't give a shit. You when shouldn't you have, apologize. When you have the resume that I have as a sports broadcaster covering Go sports, ahead. not in one part of the country, but all parts of the country for the Go past ahead. sixteen years. You guys go get those credentials and then at me. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And, and, and here's, here's where the, the final thing I'm going to say on TCU, and then I got a hot take for these Georgia people out here. Oh, but, boy. Yeah, here I come. Um, <laughs> I think we should appreciate TCU season for exactly what it was. I'm not going to sit back and look at this national championship game and hold that as an indictment on their year. Yeah, no. However... We have to have an honest conversation about how this sport, college football, is not built for TCU 
to to go out there and beat Georgia. Sure. They, it's not built for TCU had Ohio State made it in to go out there and beat them either. I think Ohio State would have had a similar type of day. I think they would have given up more points than Georgia did defensively, but I think Ohio State was capable of putting up 65 points the way that Georgia did. Right. I think Ohio State's offense is better. Right. Um, and so we need to look at this and say TCU deserves a lot of credit for being able to do what they did, and that's it. And that's where we stop the conversation yeah. because I don't – as the the game happened, the game is reality. They weren't supposed to be there. There, <laughs> there was no shot for them to realistically win it. And I'm just not going to hold that against them. Now, let me get you my Georgia hot take. Oh, please. Because we're getting into this conversation now of is Georgia a dynasty? And I'm totally here for that. I think that Kirby Smart, and I said it earlier, he's built really well. He's recruited really well. He's got a great staff. He knows how to motivate. He does all of the things that an elite head coach would do. Right? Um, I also will say that the dynasty for me would start with the third championship and it doesn't have to be okay. a three-peat, but I think if they win another championship in the next two, three, four or five years, I'm ready to say that Georgia is a dynasty because I'm also unwilling to say that even what Clemson did um, the last handful of years, I'm not going to say that Clemson was a dynasty. Sure. They had two championships. They had some national championship appearances. I think all of that's important. Mm -hmm. But Nick Saban has really set the standard for what a dynasty looks like. And for many years, there wasn't a national champion uh, that was – it was either Alabama or somebody who had to beat Alabama. Yep. This year, Georgia didn't have to play Alabama. I know. Right? And then their schedule next year is like cake. It is. And so that's not a downgrade on what Georgia did. I'm just stating facts here. It, but it, it puts the context on – what does a dynasty look like? Because for a long time, it was you had to beat Saban yeah. to be a champ. Yeah. And so Saban has the standard for a dynasty. Let me throw this out to you. Alabama beat Georgia a year ago in the SEC championship game. Then they play again the national title game. Jamison Williams tears his ACL. Georgia's able to win that football game. Ohio State is handling business against Georgia. Marvin Harrison Jr. gets concussed in that game. Yep. And then Ohio State can't move the ball anymore. Georgia's able to make a comeback. Ohio State's defense was atrocious. I'm not trying to relitigate that game because the result is the result. But I also think that in this dynasty conversation, we need to have a conversation about how fragile this game actually is. Because you can make a legit argument that if it weren't for those two injuries, that Georgia would have never won either title. Right? That's my hot take on this. Is right? I think Georgia's in rare air. And I think that they are starting to swing the pendulum similarly to what Michigan's done to Ohio State the last two years. The pendulum has swung. But I need to see a longer span of results, much like what Saban did. I need to see Michigan put together a, a stretch, much like what we saw with Urban. I'm not saying you have to win them all, but you need to put together some more wins uh, for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan for me to say that this thing has totally flipped. And this leads into a conversation I know if we were going to have today. Oh, yeah. We're but the Jim Harbaugh it. thing. Let's uh, talk about yeah, it. let's go there because that's a perfect segue. And you're right. Here we go again. He's um, out there sniffing around the NFL. And I thought that that had been settled, that he was going to, you know, stay there at Michigan and continue to build that program because they've been in the college football playoffs for two years now, but they didn't win the national championship. And does he, you know, he he's clearly beat Ohio State two years in a row. Like, and you'd think that he had some sort of like 
brain to say, okay, I'm not going to lie to these kids. I'm going to stay here for a minute. I'm not going to go, you know, dip into the NFL waters. And then the season ends. And what it, what does he do, Joshua? He's out there sniffing around. And it's, I mean, he did it last year. And and we asked the question, how would that affect their team this year? It didn't at all. Like, and, and, and I think it's a really unique thing that they have going because you talk to some of their players and they talk about being Michigan men and that they want to, you know, they, they feel like it's a special place, much like a lot of guys who go to Notre Dame feel that way about Notre Dame. And um, for a while, it was like that at Ohio State. It was, you know, I want to be a Buckeye and I want to play in the horseshoe and all those things. So I think that's how he's been able to overcome those obstacles. He go back in the locker room and say, listen, I'm a Michigan man, too. But, you know, I've got aspirations. I know you all understand this, but. I'm here to coach you. Let's go win a championship. I think he did that last year. If he comes back, he'll probably do that this year. This is what I'm starting to to pick up about this, though. There is a legit desire for him to coach in the NFL again. He wants to be an NFL champion. Sure. That exists. Yep. He is also under investigation from the NCAA. Yes. And I think it's the stupidest investigation ever because we've got like like legit cheating going out here. And and he bought a couple kids a hamburger, I guess. And then the bigger thing is that he he wasn't fully forthcoming about what happened, allegedly. And so he gets hit with a level one violation because he lied to the NCAA. That was dumb. But also the whole reason why he was under investigation is, is absolutely idiotic. I think it's stupid. But that is a material fact. He's under investigation, a level one sanction, which is the highest one that you can get. And then number three. There's a contract situation that he wants to get ironed out with Ward Manuel, the uh, the athletic director and the president of the University of Michigan has gotten involved in that as of late. But let's let's really boil this down. So the desire to be in the NFL, I think, is going to continue to be there. So we'll put that in a separate bucket. The contract to me is 100 percent related to this NCAA issue. Yeah, because I think that there is a thought process that you cannot extend a coach, you cannot give a coach a new contract who is currently under active investigation for a level one sanction at that school. And he might not be coaching the first two, three games of next season, depending on what the NCAA says about this. I think that's a hangup. But I also believe that Jim Harbaugh, after beating Ohio State twice and going to the college football playoff twice, won the Big Ten twice, believes he deserves a new contract. Here's the last thing I'll say on that is I have no problem with Jim Harbaugh getting a new contract. I think that he's earned it. I also think that they're from the fan perspective and in some of their frustrations. I think that if you are an athletic department, specifically if you're Ward Manual right now, you look at these last two years is saying that this is almost as good as we could have it at Michigan from a football perspective. Mm-hmm. You would also look at the full tenure of Jim Harbaugh. He first five years he played Ohio State didn't beat him. Didn't he beat is him. one and six in the postseason. Yep. So as easy as it sounds, just looking at the last two years to say, pay this man, make him the highest paid coach in the Big Ten, one of the top five paid coaches nationally. I could totally get there. But also, if I am an AD, I'm saying, is is my expectation more of what we had the last two years or more of what we saw in the first five, six seasons? Right. And that would be where the hangup would come. 
because there's there's a difference in value there. Um, and especially for a guy who wants to get out of Dodge, it seems like after every season. Yeah. I would I would give him I would make him a very highly paid guy. I would also say that you're you're gonna have to earn some incentives to get the full value of the ten million dollars a year or whatever he would like. Then the other thing that I would say is we got to make this buyout astronomical. We have to yeah. make this buyout prohibitive for you to even yeah. sniff around at other opportunities. And I don't think that as if, if I was him, I wouldn't want a, a, a crazy buyout like that. No. I would say if we're going to do that, then your buyout to fire me has to be astronomical and prohibitive too. And so I think there's a lot of complicated pieces that go into this puzzle. Um, and personally, I would love to see Jim Harbaugh stay. I want him to be the coach at Michigan. I think covering the Big Ten and covering college football in general, it has been good because Michigan has been good. Yeah. And Ohio and State is still that. good, even sure. though they haven't beaten Michigan. Two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff this year? Like, come on. And so yeah. for me, I want the guy around, but I understand all the obstacles. And I understand his personal desires, too. This thing is layered, people. You know, you and you laid it all out there. It, you're absolutely right. And – you know, I think a big part of it, why he's doing this again is because like you said, I think he really does have that desire to want to try out, you know, his luck in the NFL again. Like there's still that burning desire that he's like, ah, I I still, I still want to try it out. And, you know, like we all are in whatever we do in life, you always got that passion, or I hope everybody has a passion for something that they want to keep pursuing or they, they, they don't want to give up on. And I feel like that's kind of how Harbaugh is in the situation. Because like I said, if he didn't have that, if he was kind of done with that, we would not be hearing that he is trying to interview at, you know, Denver or Carolina or whatever it might be. Um, but that that's the reality he is. Yeah, it's um the the whole thing is really intriguing. I I'll say this as my last point on the his desire to coach in the NFL. It's a lot of people think it's leverage. I I believe it to be true desire. Here's the interesting thing about his NFL tenure in San Fran. They were super successful. He competed for a Super Bowl. Yep. He was in the playoffs like every year he was there pretty much. And then what it felt like toward the end of that tenure is that he didn't necessarily want to leave, but there was a difference in opinion between him and the front office right. that was not going to be solved. And that was the reason why he was gone. And so it's not because he flamed out. It's not because he's a bad football coach. It's not because he couldn't get the job done. It was for something that was outside of the realm of what happens between the white lines. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a bigger thing than in, that nobody's talking about with his NFL career arc. There's so much unfinished business probably in his mind yeah. that he's got to get back out there. And that's that's a good way to put it. And I know that when anybody who's a competitive, um, you know, person, whether that be a player, coach, uh, or just doesn't even do sports and competitive in their own different way, like when you have unfinished business, like I think it like in a way haunts you for some people with those type of, you know, personalities. And I, I just, I don't know, Jim, I, I've never interviewed him, but just from everything I've seen about him, he kind of seems like one of those people that would be like that. So yes, um, that, that would not surprise me really quickly before we wrap this up. Speaking of head coaches um, on 
the NFL side that people just want to keep connecting to the college side is former Ohio State linebacker, uh, Mm. very beloved, uh, Mike Vrabel, who actually clearly was an assistant there as well under Urban Meyer. And I have covered him now for the last uh, five seasons. So here in Tennessee and Look, uh, Ryan Day is a good head coach. Um, I know what Buckeye fans are like because I have covered that program. You are a Buckeye. You know more than anything what Ohio State fans are like. And I know that this narrative has been brought up this year with the displeasure of Ryan Day because, you know, he didn't win a national championship, um, although they were very competitive in that Georgia game. And it's like, oh, Mike Vrabel isn't having a good season. It's his first Losing season at Tennessee since he's been there, the reigning coach of the year in the NFL, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Vrabel's going to Columbus. Like, what has it been? Are people serious right now? Yeah, this this is what's troubling about this whole situation to me. Mike Vrabel is a phenomenal coach. He is, I, I think, the world of him just as an X and O guy. I also think that he's a just a, a really good guy. Like, I, I just yeah. he knows how to connect with people. Sure. So that's somebody you want to keep around an organization, right? Now, you know that because he's connected with you, obviously yep. familiar faces and everything. But, like, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is also a guy who left the college game for a reason. He was two years into his coaching career and said, I got to get somewhere else maybe three years into it, three seasons, and said, I got to go somewhere else. And he did. And he's been really successful since stepping into the NFL. You have one season that doesn't go your way all of a sudden, oh my gosh, uh, he's got problems. I think it was more than just the coaching. I think that's the reason why John Robinson is no longer around. There are a lot of layers to that thing I'm not going to get all the way into. Then you get Ryan Day. Dude's won like 90% of his games at Ohio State. Yep. Uh, yep. I mean, What's his record? Do you know it off the top of your head? I I don't. I can. Okay. I can pull it's it up like ridiculously quick. good. Plus, yeah, it's that. it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, couple of three, I think, college football playoff appearances: 2019, 2020, and then this season. Um, out of four years as a head coach at Ohio State. God. I I'm like I'm all people. I I chuckle as I say it, but like this is. Absolutely ridiculous. He's 45 and six. Yeah, I'm like, what? what is going on? Like, are people senile? Yeah, and uh, well, I think so. And so all this to say, Ryan Day ain't going nowhere anytime soon. Mike Vrabel does not need to be anywhere anytime soon. And even if Ryan Day decided that he was gone, he, you know, Ohio State wanted part ways or he found a job in the NFL. Mike Vrabel ain't coming back to college. I'm, I'm saying no. this as somebody who has been around the man, somebody yes. who has watched him also in the NFL. I just don't think he wants the college football problem, specifically what's going on right now with this landscape. The NIL thing, I don't know if that's a place for Mike Vrabel. I think that right. he was a phenomenal recruiter when recruiting was actually recruiting. I don't, I don't think he wants to get in the muck and do all of that. No. Um, and I don't blame him. This is not saying that, oh, he doesn't, he's not cut out to do it. I think he can do it. I just don't think he desires to. No. Um, so this this whole thing is is wild to me. Like you got two coaches who I think are in places where they want to be, who have had an immense amount of success. You've got fan bases that are fully irrational. Like I, I mean, just sickening sometimes. And then this is what you get. But I think both of these guys are are exactly where they need to be. 
Yeah, I, I do too. I just wanted to get your perspective because if anybody can give a perspective on it, it's you because uh, you clearly you know, were there when he was coaching. And with me covering this Titans team for the last you know, six seasons, and, and I've been here ever since Mike Vrabel arrived, the, the, the man loves covering the NFL or coaching the NFL. He loves those players and not like he doesn't love college players, but there's a lot more that comes with college. Like you were saying, like it's a whole nother landscape. And half the time I feel like these coaches are having to deal with all that before they can just go out there and, you know, get on the field and, and, and do the teaching part. There's just more to it. Now you, you don't have a GM, you know, right. I mean, yeah, at least in the NFL, you, you've got other parts above you that are helping with other things. Um, so Vrabel can just go out there and, you know, put the pads on, which he does every yes. practice and, and yes. you know, is out there. I mean, he's getting he in drills. Yes. I yes. know. Uh, I mean, watching does. the guy work is, is an absolute pleasure because he, he just, he gets it. Like that's yeah. the only way I can really, let me, let me read you this real quick before we get off of this topic and get yeah, it. Please do. So Ryan day at Ohio state 13 and one, his first season, full-time yes. head coach made it to the college football playoff loss in the Fiesta Bowl to Clemson, a very closely contested game. Then the seven and one COVID year, they beat yep. Clemson in the semifinal, make it to the national championship game. That's a loss finished number three in the coaches in AP poll in 2019 finished number two, and the coaches in AP poll in 2020. Then you get to the 2021 season. He went 11 and two. It was a loss to Michigan. Uh, the won the Rose Bowl, finished number five in the coaches poll, number six in the AP. And then you get the 2022 season. Again, 11 and two. He lost to Michigan. I know it's tearing people up. He lost in the Peach Bowl. I know it's tearing people up. Number four in the country is where they finished. So you've got a number three, a number two, a number five or six, and then a number four finish. You got a 13-win season, two 11-win seasons. Yeah. I, I don't know what you want me to say about this. And, the guy is 31-2 in Big Ten play. And there's, and then here's the other thing you look at. What I mean, there's not been a drop-off of talent. No, certainly not. I mean, that would be a concern if he wasn't able to continue the recruiting part of it. And, but that hasn't been a drop-off. And if we want to be totally honest, like Urban – he beat Michigan every year. He brought a, a national championship. That obviously means a lot. I'm not trying to downplay that. But the amount of teams that he had that underachieved, if we really think yeah. about it from yeah. a logical standpoint, 2013 underachieved, 2015 severely underachieved, um, 17, 18, 2016 got boat raced by Clemson in the semifinal. Like, yeah. Good but point. he beat Michigan. Like, I feel like that is the, 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 Yep. The crux of all of this is like, you know, he doesn't have the he's he's one and two against Michigan. Now everybody wants him gone. But yeah. he's 31 and two in Big Ten play and he's 45 and six overall. Let's calm down. Yeah. Like, 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 let's keep your powder dry, folks. You know, dude was coaching a national title game a couple seasons ago. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. It just let him have let him have some time here. You know, like just sometimes you got I love I love Buckeye fans. Look. You know about how I love Columbus. It's like my favorite place. I loved the fans there. But, you know, at some time, sometimes they need to be brought down a little. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that for you on this podcast. And we hope <laughs> you enjoyed it because I thought it was a pretty damn good podcast for not doing one for three weeks because it's been crazy. So y'all enjoyed it. Go give us a rate, review. Go 
follow us in anything. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. But definitely follow along because you'll get updates whenever we do do these. And even though it is the off season, we still are keeping you up to date as much as possible because it really never ends. So, you know, that's just how it is. Where can they go to follow you on social media platforms? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore J-E-P. That's right. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can also watch Joshua Perry on the rally on Valley. He does some great work there. We try to get him on my show, Ramon, Kayla, and Will, right here in Nashville. So we'll probably get you on here in a couple weeks, too. Just let me know. Yeah. We, you're, you know, being a Buckeye, you'd think people, I, I know fans have reached out to you, Vols fans in particular, when you've been on a couple times. But when they reach out to you, know that, like, that's because they actually, like, appreciate what you're doing. Because otherwise, they just wouldn't do it. Well, I, I told them what was going to happen this season, too, and they didn't want to hear it from me. So, I'm, you know. But but I'm glad they were listening, certainly, and I can't wait for my uh, my next appearance. Right, right. Well, we appreciate it, you guys, for tuning in, and we'll be back for another episode of Press Pass real soon. Take care.